0: Good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. We are um, continuing our message series. I'm looking for someone. I don't know if they're in here or not. That's why I'm staring out looking funny. (laughs) I don't think they're in here, so I'm going to continue with what I was doing. I apologize. Um, We are in a message series entitled Forgiveness because... We're talking about it because forgiveness is at the core of what it means to follow Christ. There's nothing more central to uh, following Christ than forgiveness. It's at the core of why Jesus lived, died, and was raised uh, from the dead to bring forgiveness to us. And so we've been looking at how, how God gives forgiveness, how he works it out in our lives and wants it to spill over into our relationships with other people. It's interesting, forgiveness is a process. C.S. Lewis, and most of us know C.S. Lewis because of the Chronicles of Narnia. There have been a couple films made to this point. He wrote a series of books, popular children's books, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. But he was a famous uh, Christian author, and even after he became famous, he, he defended the faith. Tremendous thinker, gave real reasons for believing in uh, Christianity, believing in the Lord, and uh, following him. But even after he became famous, he, was, he would answer every, every letter that was written to him. I fi- find that fascinating. But about three months before he died, he wrote a letter to an American woman he had never met. And this is what he told her. He said, you know, I think I have at long last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my youth. I had thought I'd done it many times before, but this time I think I really did it. Forgiving is a pilgrimage. It's a process. It's something that we have to work through. And we've been looking at what the scripture says about getting free from unforgiveness and how to work through that process. It's something all of us need. We all need to accept forgiveness from God, and we need to accept it from others when we need it. And we need to give it to others. And so that's what we've been looking at. Practically, what it means to forgive, we looked at this last week. To forgive, I must identify the debt. Because that's the picture in the scripture. When when uh, you need forgiveness, you owe a debt. Or when someone you need to forgive someone, they owe you a debt. Jesus said that in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so it's... It's something that is owed to us. And so identify the debt, first part of giving forgiveness. What does this person owe me? Do they owe me respect, consideration, or something more? What is it that they owe me? What did they not give me, or what did they take from me when they hurt me or injured me? We need to focus on the specifics so we can forgive in specifics, because if we just try to vaguely forgive people, it's not. It's not very helpful. It's like taking a pain pill when you have appendicitis. You need to get that thing out of there, in order in order to really heal. And bitterness is the same way. To, so to forgive, we need to identify the debt and then cancel the debt. I decide that whatever they owe me, from now on, they don't owe me anymore. I'm, I'm just releasing it. That's. That's the idea of forgiveness in Scripture. First John one nine, uh, when it talks about God forgiving us, it means to send it away, to let it go. You forgive. If I totally forgive someone, I don't expect them to pay me what they owe me. Now it may be still right for them to pay me, but I don't. I don't expect them to pay me. If I do, then I could die a very unhappy person because I'm hinging my joy on their forgiveness or their Response. They're asking forgiveness of me. It's not not a wise thing to do. So I identify the debt, I cancel the debt, and then I refuse to use the debt against them ever again. I will not pay them back for the harm done. I don't take revenge. I will not pay them back. Now, we can pursue justice, and we're going to look at this in a little bit, but never pay back. That's, That's God's territory. We, we leave revenge to God, Scripture says. And the bottom line in all of the things you see in Scripture about forgiveness is followers of Christ must be forgivers. He demands it. He expects it and he demands it for our own good. It's something we've got to work through. We've got to struggle through this stuff. And we we hit the wall on forgiveness sometimes because we misunderstand that it's just as much or more for our benefit to forgive someone as it is for the benefit of the one we need to forgive. So we, we misunderstand that. We, we don't realize forgiving someone is, is for our benefit as well as the other person. So sometimes out of spite, we hold back on it. But it, it's something we really need to work through. We really need to deal with this. A second bit, uh, barrier to forgiving is misunderstanding what forgiveness is and then what it's not. And so I want to help you in this series. I've been trying to help you get past barriers to forgiving others and to experiencing forgiveness yourself. Because when you do forgive, peace emerges. It wells up. It emerges. And so here's a list of what forgiveness is not, just to help us realize what it's not. Forgiveness is not approving of what they've they've done. It's not approving of the wrong they've done. It's not excusing what they did. Forgiveness is not justifying what they did. To be justified, justice has to be served. There has to be a just consequence in order to be uh, forgiven. Reconciliation. It's not reconciliation. Now, this is important. Because we can walk around thinking we haven't forgiven someone because the relationship hasn't gone back to the way it was. It's not all better. And so we can walk around feeling like there's this unforgiveness in our heart because we haven't been reconciled. Well, that's another part of the process. But forgiveness is separate from reconciliation. Scripture tells us to do everything we can do to live at peace with someone, with other people. But that's everything we can do. To reconcile the relationship, they have to want to reconcile. They have to choose the right things to reconcile. And so we do our part, and hopefully others do their part, and then there's restoration and reconciliation. So forgiveness is not reconciliation. It's not denying what they did. And it's not forgetting. I read this this week. Love doesn't erase our memories. It's actually a demonstration of, of greater grace when we're fully aware of what has occurred and we still choose to forgive. That's the way God forgives us. He, he's aware of every thought, word, or action we've ever said or taken or thought. I, anything. He's aware of all the sordid details of our lives. And yet, he chooses... Not to remember in the sense of holding those things against us, but to forget in that way. He he remembers. He knows what happened. He's seen it all. But he doesn't remember and hold it against us any longer. When the memories or regrets return, we have to learn to steer our mind in the right direction. We talked about that last week, how to redirect our thoughts in the right way. And if we do, if we redirect our thoughts, because the memories come. We don't, we, forgiveness isn't forgetting. We don't, we don't always forget harm and hurt done to us. If we learn to process the thoughts and deal with the thoughts that are attacking us in this way, our hurts can actually become memorials to God's grace and forgiveness. Because where we should end up is thanking God and praising God what he's done in our lives as we process this thing. We looked more at that last week. And then forgiveness is not refusing to take the wrong seriously. We need to take it seriously and certainly not pretending that we're not hurt. We have have to realize that we're hurt. And I'd like to, before we get into the meat of how to deal with the poison, I'd like to answer this question. It's been asked in a couple ways as I've been doing the series. And so I'd like to ask Uh, answer an FAQ, Frequently Asked Question, Um, and this is it. If I forgive, do I forget about justice and just stop pursuing it? Where where does justice, the right outcome, the right consequence, where does it fall into uh, this matter of forgiveness? Another way of asking this, something related, is in other words, if I forgive, does that mean that I never confront the person? about their wrongdoing? And the answer is no. It doesn't mean that you stop pursuing justice necessarily. You may not need to pursue justice. And it doesn't mean that you never confront the person, especially if there's a pattern of wrongdoing that's doing damage to themselves or other people around them. It helps if you can forgive completely before you confront or before you seek justice because then you can approach them out of love and there's not this mixture of anger and love and payback you 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 need payback has to be out of the equation if you really want to help people that that sense of payback's got to be out of there and so um we we work through forgiveness before we confront but we still may need to talk to the person about the wrong, the, the wrong pattern, what's going on. Actually, justice and, forgive, and forgiveness, they're separate issues when we're dealing with wrong that's been done to us or when we've done wrong, but they actually work together. They, they go together, justice and forgiveness and mercy. Both are very important to God because God is just and he loves justice. God's integrity and love of justice is why Jesus came and died on the cross. Look at Romans 3. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. In other words, through faith in his blood. We're atoned. Our sin is forgiven. We are justified because Jesus took the penalty for our sin, our debt. He took our debt on himself. And so that's how we are forgiven. He did this to demonstrate his justice, because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So now, if we put our faith in Christ, we're forgiven. We're justified, because he executed justice on himself. That's what God did. There's no workaround. For justice with God, there's no workaround. You know, you work around, you hit, a, you hit a snag, you hit a barrier, you're working on a project. Computer guys do this. You know, there's a bug. What's the workaround? How do I get around it? How do I write the code to get around the, the bug and deal with the problem? There's no workaround for justice with God. So much so that He brought justice on Himself, He died the death that we deserve. So that we could be free. We could be forgiven and free from that load of debt of sin that we carried around with us. So there's no work around. In fact, he commands us to seek justice. Isaiah 1, 17, a short description uh, for God's people of what God wants. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's case. God wants us to live and be just. He wants our society to be a just society. This is very important to him. When I forgive, I refuse to make the person pay for what they've done. In other words, I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to seek payback. But I am free to seek justice. I may not need to, but I am free to if I do need to. Seeking justice may be actually... An important part of the healing process. It works together with mercy because when you see someone pay the consequences and they begin to suffer for what they've done, it moves your heart. Justice moves our heart toward mercy. And, you know, when you're angry and upset and you want to make somebody pay, they're like a monster. You've blown them up, they're a monster. But when you see justice accomplished and then you see consequences, maybe God brings consequences into their life, or you see justice in the courts or something like that, whatever it is, depending on how serious the matter is, when you see it, they go from being a monster to becoming human again. Justice moves our heart toward mercy. It's a very important thing, and we can't just let it go. At the same time, forgiveness doesn't automatically restore trust. just doesn't automatically do it. It's not equal to reconciliation. They're not the same thing. We all have doors on our house or apartment or dorm room, whatever. We have doors. Doors are there to control who gets in the house, the boundary. Sometimes in relationships, when a person keeps doing harm, we have to set boundaries to protect ourselves and those who are being hurt by this person. We have to set the boundaries rightly. Through unforgiveness, there's a wall that's built through from between ourselves and other people. But boundaries grow out of forgiveness and wisdom. We need boundaries when, when we're being hurt. We have to wisely walk through the process. Relationships are built on trust. Forgiveness doesn't automatically restore trust. It takes love and faithfulness to do that. Look at Proverbs 16. Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. Those are the two key ingredients to a relationship that keeps growing and is beneficial to both parties. When we create the boundaries that we need to create, we give ourselves another space to work through some of the emotional issues, the thought process of forgiveness, it gives space. We decide to forgive, but the boundaries create the space we need to begin to experience the forgiveness emotionally. It creates the possibility of the relationship being restored if there's a new track record of love and faithfulness. That's how trust is built. There's no workaround on that either. Love and faithfulness build trust. And so when relationships unravel because someone's wronged or hurt, then we go back to rebuilding that trust. We need to maybe we need to create boundaries uh, to make that happen. So there's a relationship between justice and mercy and forgiveness. And that's the backdrop. That's sort of the backdrop. That's the FAQ answer to to the question that comes up because that's we have we're built. In the image of God, we're made in his image, and so when wrong is done, there's this justice motive that just sort of, ooh, we want to bring justice. It can go wrong with revenge. We have to guard against that, but justice is important to God, and it works together with mercy and forgiveness. That's the backdrop for dealing with the poison that we're dealing with today that we're going to look at. Bitterness is the poison. It poisons your system. Hebrews 12, 15 It says, look look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. This is a, a quote that you can get on the Internet if you just Google bitterness and poison. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. It's what it is. You're drinking it, and you're hoping somebody else dies. That, that doesn't make any sense. Once bitterness is in your system, the poison begins to work, and you have to take action to get it out. You have to do something to get rid of it. In this message, we're going to look at how bitterness gets into your system and what it takes to get rid of it. Bitterness is something that takes root and grows over time, the longer that you let it remain in you, the more damage it does. It's like a cancerous tumor that just stays there. It keeps growing. And it, it, it goes, if it goes unchecked, it's harder and harder to reverse the effects. Bitterness is like that. It starts with an injury. Somebody disappoints you. They break a promise. They attack you for no known reason. They overlook you. They leave you out of something. You're hurt. Maybe it's more serious than that, but there's some kind of injury The injury turns into hurt. You're you're hurt. And the hurt becomes anger. Anger is uh, wrong anger. Anger is normal. We talked about this last week. But wrong anger is when you allow the burst of energy and the anger you feel towards someone, the ill will toward them, you allow it to affect what you say and do and what you think. It takes over takes control and then you begin to do things to pay people back that's that's the wrong kind of anger it's it's ill will towards someone where you want to make them pay and it begins to control you anger if we're not careful turns into resentment resentment is deep seated ill will that settles in us anger and hurt amplifies and you begin to play the offense over and over and over in your mind like a broken record. I don't know if you've ever had a, a record, uh, an LP, you know, the little big big, big black disc. But I, I used to have them when I was young. And um, if you, you know, you take, you put them on the turntable and you put the little needle on there. And I never really took care of my records very well. And so they'd get scratched. Well, if it hit a scratch, it would get stuck, and it wouldn't go to the rest of the song, but the same part of the song would keep playing over and over and over again. It's a real bummer. I should have taken better care of my records. But that's what happens if we start letting resentment sink in, the same thoughts, the memories, that we just keep rehearsing, and we nurse the grudge. We keep, we keep thinking the same things over and over and over again, and it amplifies and it begins to turn into bitterness. Bitterness is is when it lives in you. It's there. You can't seem to shake it. And the danger is that it becomes a part of who you are. It's the poison that begins to affect. And when you begin to recognize bitterness, you need to get rid of it. Because bitterness is the poison that contaminates relationships. Just like if, The reservoirs that we use to get our water, you know, you turn on the tap. If the reservoir is contaminated, that tap water is going to make you and I sick. That's what bitterness does. If it's sunk into and lodged in our heart, it's going to contaminate our relationships, our thoughts, our words, our actions, and it's going to spill over and corrupt many. So we have to guard against it. It begins to affect the way, even the way you see yourself. It, it can bitterness can lead to a victim mentality a victim mentality is when you feel like life is happening to you and you can't do anything about it there's nothing you can do to stop the circumstances that are just caving in to you 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 give up on finding a way forward what's the use why should i try what's going on it just life is against me everything's coming against me i just I'm doomed to this life and this feeling and all the bad circumstances. I'm just doomed. Doom is a bad it's a bad deal. It's a very bad feeling. It's not good. It changes this this victim mentality, changes even your personality. It mars your self image. And God wants to help you understand who you are, how how important you are to him, how how priceless, really, you are before him. Getting rid of bitterness could be the key to unwinding that victim mentality. Bitterness also, and this is the biggest tragedy, it separates you from the life of God. The New Testament gives a very clear picture of how the good stuff grows in our lives. There's a a very clear clear picture, And, and the picture it gives is, You're either in one atmosphere or another atmosphere, one of two atmospheres. You're either in the spirit, that's where the good stuff grows, or you're in the flesh, that's where the the rotten stuff grows, stinks in the flesh. It's really rotten. And so there's these two realms or spheres or atmospheres that we live in. In the spirit, once you've decided to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And you have what you need, you have the power to live in the Spirit. That means you rely on his leadership, you live life his way, and you say no to the flesh. To live in the flesh means you rely on me, you rely on yourself, and your old ways. And the picture in the Bible is we gravitate toward the flesh, so we always have to choose to get out of the flesh when we find ourselves in it. But in the Spirit, that's where the good stuff grows. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That kind of stuff grows in the spirit. And those are the character qualities out of which a life, good thoughts, good actions, good words, they flow out of there. And that brings God's blessing into your life. It all happens in the spirit, in in that atmosphere. But we live in a hostile environment. To those good things. We, we live in an environment that doesn't support that kind of life. Between here and heaven, we, we, it's like we weren't made to breathe water. We were made to breathe oxygen. So if we're going to go under the water and explore the ocean for a while, we have to find a way to get connected to oxygen so that we can continue to breathe and live. That's, that's a good picture of what we need to do. We have to stay connected to the Holy Spirit, to God's Spirit in us, so that we can, we can experience his growing the good stuff in, the, in that atmosphere. Here's, here's what it says in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieving the Holy Spirit, this is the picture, it puts a kink in the connection between you and the life of God. You and the good stuff that God wants to grow in you. And then it goes on, it lists the rotten stuff. Look at the first thing on the list. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. We've got to get rid of these things. Get them out of our system before they ruin us. And when you see the rotten stuff in your life, you're in the flesh. If you're a follower of Christ, you're in the flesh. And you need to get back in the spirit. The way you do that is, God, there I go again. I've I messed up. I've blown it. I confess. That was wrong. That thought was wrong. That word, that, what I said, that was wrong. That action, I shouldn't have done it. Will you, will you forgive me? God forgives. We confess and we surrender to him, his leadership again. God, I'm going to give it back to you again. I want you to take control. And then we make it right. If we if we need to go back and ask forgiveness of someone, we make it right, and that's how we constantly we constantly find ourselves in the flesh. We've got to get back in the spirit, in the flesh. But we're choosing which realm we're living in, which atmosphere we live in. The good stuff grows in the spirit. So through that process, we grow, it grows indirectly as we stay connected to God as we allow him to do the work in our spirit that he wants. But bitterness is the first thing that cuts us off from the life of God. Look, if we go back to verse 18 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, look at what it says. It's describing what it's like when, you, when you're not connected to the life in the spirit, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. One of the key things that hardens our hearts and separates us from the life of God is bitterness. Because what happens? We 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 look down when we're bitter, we're angry, and we can't believe these people have hurt us this way. We look at who they become they become a monster, they become less than human. We look down on them, and our heart is hard. We're not going to be forgiving. We're going to make them pay. We resent what they've done. We're bitter about it. And our heart just becomes a rock. The thing that melts our heart is found in verse 32 Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. The key to a tender heart is admitting, humbly admitting your sin before God. Letting him forgive you for it, and then growing on into the future with him. Letting him grow the good stuff as you rely on him. Yeah, God, I can't do it myself. I've tried it. I keep messing up. It it doesn't go well. So how do we get rid of the bitterness? First thing is forgive. We've been talking about this for a few weeks. The Bible teaches that there is major power to forgive. We just saw it in this verse. There's major power to, to forgive in the experience of being forgiven by God. So we come to God, we admit before him, God, I've blown it, sinned, I've been living my life my own way. I want to turn around and go your way. And we experience God's forgiveness. That gives us what we need to offer it to others. We make, then we make the decision to cancel the debt and begin the process. Two components of forgiveness, the decision to forgive and the emotions of forgiveness. They're, the first thing, we decide. Before God, it's right for, before him. This is important to him, so I'm going to cancel the debt. I'm going to let it go. And then we have to work through the emotions and experience emotional forgiveness. We do that. Forgive. That's the first thing. The second thing is to choose humility. This is crucial if we're going to experience forgiveness. Before God and with others, and if we're going to give it to others. We need to choose humility. Look at Colossians 3. Put on them. This is the picture you see in the, in the Bible as well. We're always putting off the old nature, the flesh, and we're putting on the new nature. When we get, and we get up in the morning, you know, you choose your outfit. If you're walking with the Lord, we need to choose to put on these qualities. Compassion. Kindness. Humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if anyone has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive we have to constantly shift from doing life the our own way to doing it god's way look at the quality in the middle of those five things in verse 12 humility it it's crucial it plays a crucial role in forgiveness Humility is, first of all, key to accepting forgiveness. Some say, I've been reading several books on forgiveness, and some say you need to forgive yourself. I would say that you need to accept God's forgiveness in your life. I can't forgive myself. But God is willing. And it's important for me to accept humility is the key. What do we say when we've blown it and we're embarrassed and we're ashamed? I should have known better. Fact is, I didn't. You didn't. If you've done wrong, you didn't. You're just like the rest of the human race. And it it requires humility to accept forgiveness from God and to accept forgiveness from other people because it also enters in there. You know, we need forgiveness I should have known better. I'm so embarrassed. And that can become a wall. If we don't accept the forgiveness in our own life, it becomes a wall that cuts us off from the people around us. We've got to let it go. I'm human. You're human, just like everybody else. It requires humility to admit that and accept the forgiveness that we need. Thank God that he's kind and forgiving. Humility is also key to offering forgiveness. First of all, Toward God. When when you have a bitterness toward God, some would say that we need to forgive God. I I would say that He doesn't need my forgiveness. He does He doesn't really need my forgiveness. But it is true that I need to work through any bitterness or resentment that I have toward God. I've got to work it through. And humility is important. I'd like to show you a clip from Bruce Almighty that um, just kind of illustrates. How we sometimes deal with resentment and bitterness toward God. Let's watch this.
1: Well, thank God you're all right. God, yeah, let's thank God, shall we? For his blessings are raining down upon me. Wait, that's not rain! Bruce, please don't do that, honey. You know that everything happens for a reason. That I don't need. That is a cliche. That is not helpful to me. A bird in the hands were two in the bush. I have no bird, I have no bush. God has taken my bird in my bush. Oh, I see. So so God is picking on you? Is that what you're saying? No, he's ignoring me completely. He's far too busy giving Evan everything he wants. Oh, that's great, Sam. But you missed your target. I'm over here! Don't get mad at the dog. It's not the dog's fault. No, it's God's fault. You gave him the wrong coordinates. Right. you know what? Enough. All right? You just stop being such a martyr! I am not being a martyr. I'm a victim. God is a mean kid sitting on an anthill with a magnifying glass, and I'm the ant. He could fix my life in five minutes if you wanted to, but he'd rather burn off my feelers and watch me squirm! All right, sweetheart, I know that you're mad. It's completely understandable what Evan did. is slimy and wrong. But this day could have been so much worse. I'm just glad you're okay. Okay? Newsflash! I'm not okay. I'm not okay with a mediocre job. I'm not okay with a mediocre apartment. I'm not okay with a mediocre life!
0: That's what you call a tantrum, (laughs) right there. He's throwing a fit before God. And he is bitter, and it wrecks all kinds of havoc. Humility is the key to working through bitterness with God. Because humility says, you know, I'm not capable of running the universe. I'm not capable of running my own life. I can't do it on my own. I need God's help. I need to just accept what flows into my life through the hands of God as coming from Him. And then I need to humbly respond in a way that re- really brings honor to Him. I'm not going to try God to tell God. I'm not going to try to tell God how to run the universe. I'm not going to try to tell him how to run my life. I'm going to accept what flows from His hand and respond in the right way. Now, we, we have to work through things. Resentment, but we have the emotions. We've got to work through it. But that's where we need to land. Job was a man in the Old Testament who his life was completely taken from the life that he had known. He'd lost his family, everything he owned. And at that moment, <clears throat> his wife said, Job, just curse God and die. Just give up right now. Just curse God and die. Right? You just yell at him, curse him. And he said, should I accept good from God and not evil? What he was saying is, see, evil exists. Pain and suffering exist in the world because um, the first man and woman let it enter. And it's like a disease that infects us. So we all experience it. God doesn't play favorites. We all experience pain and suffering. It flows through his hand. The good thing about God is he won't waste it. If we'll trust him, if we'll walk by faith and trust him, he won't waste the, the, the pain and suffering, but he'll use it for our good. It takes humility to admit and allow God to run the universe and our lives. It also helps when we need to forgive others. And here, here's how it helps. I usually have, it takes me time to get here. But what we need to be able to say is, you know what? I could have done the same thing. If somebody hurts you, you need to get to the place, and we resist this. When our heart's hard, we don't want to say this. But I could have done the same thing, and even I might have done the same thing sometime in the past. Somehow we have this ability, when we're hurt, to focus on what's going on and forget all the times we've done the same thing. I could have done the same thing. Humility allows you to admit that you might remember it wrong. Your, your memories might not be accurate. In fact, studies have been done that show it's impossible for us to remember the details accurately as the, the event gets further and further in the past. We store the essence. This is what studies show. We store the essence of the memory, and then we add things to the essence of the memory that gives us the advantage. That's what happens. We're all wired this way. It's in our hearts. And so... Humility says, I might not remember it exactly the right way. Maybe they didn't say it the way I thought, or maybe it didn't go on. Maybe it did, but humility at least considers that you could be wrong and allows you to work through the issue. Finally, so humility is crucial. We need to choose it, and finally, we need to choose faith. Faith and humility work together to give God time to make it good, the wrong, the hurt, Joseph was a man in the Old Testament. If you haven't ever read his story, I'd encourage you to read Genesis 37 through 50. Amazing story about how he responded to God. He had a lot to be bitter about. First, his brothers treated him cruelly out of jealousy, sold him into slavery. He goes into slavery. He finally earns a position, and then the wife of the, the guy he was working for accuses him of trying to seduce her, and he gets thrown into prison, and then in prison he gets ignored, and... But third, God allowed all this stuff to happen, so he 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 could have been bitter. He, he had a lot to be bitter at, people to forgive, bitterness toward God to work through. But here's the statement that Joseph made that shows the right perspective that will help us work through bitterness. He was confronted by his brother. This whole downturn in his life started when his brother sold him into slavery, and at the end he had risen to power in Egypt He had the power to just squash his brothers. They end up in front of him in all his royal garb and everything. And they're afraid he's going to just take them out. And this is what he says. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. People do evil. But God can turn it around for good in our lives if we'll trust him. Like, you know, the ingredients of a cake by themselves taste horrible. You know, I'm, I'm not, I don't go to the pantry craving flour. You know, that's not good. I just don't do that. Raw egg. I'm not a fan of raw eggs. But boy, you mix them together, you bake the cake, and man, that's good stuff. That tastes good. That's how God will work in our lives. If we let him take the different ingredients, if we just trust him to work these things out, let him put them together, and sometimes it's the heat that bakes us. In the heat, God's working to create just a need to go to him and trust him rather than trust ourselves. If we'll do that, he'll grow us. He'll make life good. He promises that in Romans eight twenty eight. But we have to respond. We have to cooperate with him. We have to let him be God and accept things from his hand. We have to take the action to guard against bitterness and get rid of it, get it out of our system, and humility and faith are crucial for getting rid of it. I'm going to wrap up the message. I'd like to ask the band to come up. They're going to play through uh, a song instrumentally for us. And I'd like you to just think, today we, we have next steps on the back of your connection card. If you take out your connection card and finish completing it before we receive the offering in a few moments that'd be great Um, but I'd like you to just stop and think I, I haven't really given you a next step related to the message today other than think about what God said to you is there one thing God's brought to mind is there something that he wants you to do a way that he wants you to respond think about that as the band plays through this song and commit to follow through that could be your step Secondly, uh, your step could be if you haven't yet committed your life to follow Christ and you're considering what that means and you're ready to make that decision today for the first time, I'm deciding to accept God's forgiveness in Christ and follow Jesus as Lord. I'm going to give him control. I'm I'm not going to try to run my life anymore. I'm going to trust him to do it. And then you could also just let us know you're wanting to volunteer for the thank you. If you're a first time guest with us today, we're really glad you're here. We have a gift for you. It's on the the little taller table through the double doors. It's called the Case for Faith. I think you'll find it to be helpful, and that'd be great. Let's let's uh, as the as the band plays through this song, think about what God said, and then as we sing the song, let it be our prayer to God in closing the message.